0: 1 John, chapter 2, starting from verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The second passage will be Revelation 18. we we'll be starting from verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen, is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird or haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed idolatry with her, immorality with her. The merchants on the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself had paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. And she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand off in fear of a torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves. That is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these words will gain wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud, alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For you merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, we thank you for your revelation to John that we have before us now, which seeks to show us that Jesus is in control, that he is almighty God, he is the eternal king, uh, he is saviour, um, that uh, he is uh, the one worthy uh, to control history uh, because of his death and resurrection. Uh, we thank you that uh, these words have been given to us in order to bless us. And so, Father, today we pray that you would bless us as we sit under your word again, that it will bless us in being able to uh, rightly see what our world is like under Babylon's influence, and uh, what it means for us uh, to be Christians uh, who come out of Babylon uh, and who hold firm to Jesus, to love him and live for him. Uh, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder what captures your heart, right? Maybe if things were so gloomy this morning and you were to dream about what your life would be about or as you just go through life and you think about, what is it that captures your heart, right? What makes you happy when you get it? Uh, and what makes you sad when you lose it? So pretty kind of basic questions about life, isn't it? What captures your heart? What makes you happy when you get it? What makes you sad when you lose it? Now, I remember when I first uh, was in uni uh, and I got my first five credit after having a pretty long streak of getting sixes and sevens. And I was quite bothered by it. I was quite sad. And I didn't realize that I would be so upset. I didn't think I was one of those guys, you know, where I was an Asian, not a B-esian, you know, I, you know all those memes. I didn't think I was one of those guys who cared that much about marks until I got my first five. And I realized that deep down, this must really matter to me. I also realized, I uh, remember all those times, being just a bit too excessively happy and excited, For a package to arrive, right, which contained my new phone, right, or a new um, uh, computer, uh, or a new coffee machine, Uh, and it kind of made me realize, right, the things that I loved in this life. Now, what about you? What about you? What captures your heart? What makes you happy when you get it, and what makes you sad? What makes you upset when you lose it? And I wonder how much of what makes you happy and what makes you sad has to do with the things of this world. Uh, the treasures of this world or the pleasures of this world or the achievements uh, that make you feel good about yourself, Uh, the comforts and the possessions and the experiences uh, that gives you your version uh, of the good life, whatever that might be. Perhaps for many of us, we might realize that we're more gripped by the things of this world than we realize or that we're willing to admit. We're more captured. Uh, by the things of this world than we realize or the things that we would want to admit. Now, last week, uh, we jumped into the book of Revelation in chapter 17, and one of the best things and one of the most memorable things for me that Brandon said last week as he preached was that the book of Revelation, with all of its complexities and strange visions, is really a giant hug from our Father in heaven. You remember him saying that? It's like a giant hug from our Father in heaven, right? The visions of Revelation may seem strange to us, and we may not get all the details but the message itself is very clear and very comforting. Very clear and very comforting. Uh, Revelation comforts us uh, by showing us that Jesus wins. Right? The first uh, chapter, chapter 4 and 5, Jesus on the throne, he wins. His death and resurrection has secured the victory and has made him worthy, isn't it, to open the seal to the seven scrolls, which are basically a symbol for history being played out. Right? He's in control. We you see that, right? He's history past, present and future is in his hands. And, and even you know, evil and suffering and injustice, Jesus is in control. But even better, he will deal with it. Right? He will deal with it. He will remove all the suffering one day. He will right all wrongs and he will judge all injustices one day. And that's what we get to see here in these chapters, in chapter 17 to 19. Right? We, we get to see uh, justice. Uh, being, being done, right, rights uh, wrongs being righted. Now, back in chapter 17, we heard and we saw the great prostitute, uh, and she is Babylon, isn't it? Now, the great t- the prostitute, the picture of this woman uh, actually represents the great Babylon, the city of Babylon, uh, which in the first century probably represented Rome, uh, probably re- re- represented Rome. But in a way, she's more than just Rome, Right? She's a symbol, isn't it, of uh, a representation of the forces of evil which uses uh, enticements and temptations to seduce the world to worship her and to seduce believers away from worshiping the Lord Jesus and failing that to do violence against those who won't love her, uh, people like believers who will love Jesus instead. Now, back in chapter 17 uh, we saw uh, or we heard that John, who's the author of this book, the one who received these revelations, these visions, uh, he's shown the judgment of Babylon uh, that is to come, right? There's a foretelling, a prediction of Babylon's fall. But here in chapter 18, he's transported into the future where he hears the pronouncement that Babylon has fallen. It's as good as done uh, as he sees this vision looking at, uh, looking at Babylon already fallen, And the point of this chapter is that Babylon's fall is certain and it is thoroughly deserved because this city has done truly wicked things. And we hear of Babylon's, as we hear of Babylon's certain judgment to come, and we're all invited, we're all invited to see the tragedy and the danger of falling to her seduction. Um, We who are believers are called to come out of Babylon, not go down with her. We're invited to long for that day of justice where we will rejoice to see Babylon being judged. And we of you, those of you here who aren't yet believers, are invited to see the tragedy of loving Babylon. It's a tragic thing to love Babylon. And to see instead that to love Jesus is just so, so much better. It is worth it to love Jesus and follow Him. So let's dive in. Starting at verse 1. How have your Bibles open to chapter one, uh, chapter 18, verse 1? Uh, there we go. So, chapter 17, we heard an angel come, right, to uh, proclaim to John about Babylon's impending doom. But now here we have another angel from heaven with a mighty voice pronouncing fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great, right? It's already done. It's fallen. <clears throat> the great city will become a dead and deserted place. As you read on in verse 2 and 3, it's a place that's fit only for demonic and kind of detestable things. Um, maybe some of us grew up uh, remembering that there was this uh, a rundown shack somewhere in the neighborhood, maybe in the Kampong or somewhere in backwater Brisbane, right, which is a deserted shack which was haunted, you know, it was that haunted house. It would be ghastly like that. And it would be a place which is so gross, like a, one of those dig toilets, right, that you go to, which you wouldn't even want to do your business in because it's so disgusting, I remember going to China once, uh, sorry to the Chinese people, it was somewhere in Shenzhen and I just felt like I was, I was just going to hold it in for the whole day because that, 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 that pit toilet was just too disgusting, too gross. And this is what Babylon will become, right? From the great city that it is, the descriptions of it in chapter 17, it will be one day become this ghastly and this gross place, great will be her fall. And the question then is Why? <clears throat> Why will she fall down so greatly? Well, verse 3 tells us, She has seduced the nations, she has seduced the world, to get drunk on the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. She has led kings to commit immorality with her. She has enticed merchants of the earth to grow rich from the power of her luxurious living. Now, if you remember back to last week, uh, this, this, the prostitute and her sexual immorality is symbolic, right? It's figurative. Uh, Babylon is a city, it's a, a, symbol, a symbolic force, isn't it? Uh, and what she does is she's enticing and luring people uh, to buy what she's selling. She's trying to suck in the entire world, all the nations. And here we read that she does it through kings, through rulers, who to, to govern and lead their countries and kingdoms into the good life that she offers through the world. And she's done it also through the merchants, right? Through commercialism, uh, through the sellers of this world who feed and grow our love for this world's things, uh, to have more and to get more of the good things of this world. So that's what she's on about, right? She's trying to lure and entice through kings and merchants to buy what she's selling. So, fallen, fallen is Babylon, is the first cry of the first angel. And then we get to verse 4. Another angel comes to cry out to the Christians. Have a look at verse 4. Come out of her, my people. Obviously, this is God speaking through His angel, telling them to come out of her, my people. Separate yourself from Babylon's influence and Babylon's control. Don't be seduced by her. Don't take part in what she's doing. Don't live the way that she's enticing you to live because it's sinful it's against God. Don't take part in it, because if you do, you will share in her plagues, in her judgment. Now, this has been one of the key messages in Revelation so far. If you've been around for the last year, the whole book of Revelation has been telling uh, the believers in the first century right, to come out of Rome, right, to come out from, from uh, her gods and her godless way of living and what she, she stands for, to get, not get sucked in by Rome and the, the Roman way of life. And it continues to be the call down through the centuries to us today. That we are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. Everyone kind of heard that saying before? We are to be in the world, but not to be of the world. This is the words that Jesus uh, spoke, or that John spoke, right, to the churches in 1 John. Do not love the world or the things uh, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Very familiar, isn't it, for us who are believers? Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, what does it mean then to come out of Babylon? Remember the call is come out of Babylon, my people. What does it mean to come out of Babylon? What does it mean to separate yourself from her? And I suppose the other question is, why? Why would we separate ourselves from the world? What she offers seems good, is luxurious, is the good life. Why? Right? What should motivate us to come out of Babylon? Now the rest of this chapter I think gives us some very compelling answers right, to these two questions as to what does it mean to come out? And why should we come out? Because as we move on, we'll see that as we hear about Babylon's certain judgment, we will want to do everything that we possibly can to not fall under the the, the judgment that she is going to be faced with. As we hear why Babylon is being judged, we'll come to see very clearly what she did that was so wrong, so bad, so evil, so that we will know what to avoid doing ourselves. And as we see, finally, the response the response of those who love Babylon as they watch Babylon force, we see their response, um, we will see the futility and the foolishness of not coming out of Babylon. And I hope that we'll be left, what we'll be left with at the end of the sermon today is the greatest encouragement to love Jesus, right? to really love Jesus and to live for Jesus and to long for that day of justice Right, where when, when Babylon will go down and all the harm that she has done, all the sins that she has committed, uh, will be judged. Now as we read on into verse 5 then, as we look at our first reason, we see that Babylon's judgment is certain. Uh, we're told that Babylon's sins are heaped up as high as the heavens. Her sins are infinitely great. Uh, and we're told that God remembers Now, it's not like God is forgetful. You know, he's got a short memory, so he has to remember something he forgot. When the Bible talks about God remembering, it means that he knows and he's about to act. Right? He's about to act. God will do something about Babylon's high-as-the-heavens sins. Now, what kind of God would God be if he doesn't do anything about wickedness and sin, right? You see, we, we all long for justice, don't we? Uh, we, we, all, we all not just desire it, but we demand that justice be done, even to the smallest things. So, for instance, right, I have children. Uh, you were once a child. Maybe you had a sibling. And it's always that time where I will scoop them ice cream, right? Before when they were too young to scoop it for themselves. And you will scoop one child this amount of ice cream. And I will scoop another child this amount of ice cream, which is slightly more right, than the other child. And guess what happens? What do they say? Everyone say it with me. It's not fair right? It's not fair, right? Such a piddly little thing, like, a, you know, a few more millimeters of ice cream, and already the injustice right, comes out of us, or the, the, the cry for justice comes out of us. Look, you know, I'm not sure about you guys, but uh, I think that the ice cream portion should match the uh, ratio of their weight and height, right? So if you're, you know, 20 kilograms, they should get 20 parts. If they're 30, right, that's fair, right? Same thing goes when you guys eat out together. You know how you guys eat out in a group and you order many dishes and you split the bill? Now, shouldn't you think it should be based on what you eat rather than whether it's is you know, everyone's pay $10? That's not fair, right? You know, Kevin eats $20 worth and maybe, uh, you know, uh, Josh Mint eats $2 worth. It's, there's a sense of justice, right? I, I, I feel it. I, I don't like it when people have to pay the same amount, right? It just seems wrong. But you see, it's the sense of justice that's in all of us. Even though we are sinful and often unjust people who are not always fair and right. Whereas God, who is perfect, who is perfectly righteous and just, how much more will He right all wrongs? How much more do we expect that God will do that? And we're told that God will pay back Babylon for all that she has done. In fact, He'll pay back double, which sounds kind of unfair. But I think payback double here is a a euphemism for saying paying back in completion, right, Uh, in in totality. Uh, I think it's a metaphorical sense rather than a mathematical sense. Now, when you look down to verses 21 to 24, the last four verses of this passage, we see that Babylon is down, right? It's thrown down, it's fallen. And there's this repetition as to what happens to Babylon. And we get this repetition that is, that in Babylon will be found no more, in you no more. In you no more. No more. I loved it when Dan read it because it's a big, deep, booming voice, right? Did you hear it? No more. <clears throat> Babylon will be totally snuffed out one day. There's an end date to Babylon, to her existence, to her influence, to her wickedness. And it will be entirely deserved. So the question then is why? Right? Why? Uh, why, what has she done that's so wrong that she has to go down and become no more, entirely destroyed like this? Well, let's read on, right? Verse 7, what's so wrong about Babylon? As she glorified herself, verse seven, and lived in luxury, so give her a light measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. You hear what she's saying here? She's someone who is self-glorifying, self-sufficient, self-indulging. She went kind of all in, didn't she, on herself. And we hear this incredible but arrogant boast in her heart where she says, "I, I rule my own life. No harm will ever come to me. I will never have to suffer any kind of judgment or have to give an account for anything. It's a big up yours to God, isn't it? A big up yours to God. I'll live in charge of my own life. And I'll never have to face any kind of consequences for my life, for my actions, for my words, for my ways. There is no consequences that I'll have to face. Now, when you think of the word sin, and we hear about Babylon's sins being heaped up, what do you think of? And most typically, when we think of sin, we think maybe breaking one of the Ten Commandments or other of God's laws. Maybe we think we're sinful when we hurt people or when we steal Or perhaps, you know, these days, uh, any kind of sex outside of marriage. That's sin. But if you think about it, if sin uh, was merely this, and even if there were many kinds of sins like this that we've committed, well, to face God's eternal and total destruction for the many sins of these kinds that we do, doesn't it seem a bit over the top? Doesn't it seem a bit excessive? to have to face eternal destruction and judgment, even for many sins of stealing and hurting people and lying and whatnot. But what if, what if sin was something that you do to God, who is of infinite glory and value, who is infinitely powerful, who is the rightful owner of everyone and every single thing? Then what would the consequence be for going against a God such as this? What would it mean to rob God of his rightful place? How big a problem would it be to stand there and claim to be in control of your own life, which actually comes from God and belongs to God? What would it mean to arrogantly say to God, I won't be judged, I'm all right, I'll never have to face any consequences from you for anything that I've done in my life? Now I want you to imagine for me, that you're a commoner, and we're all commoners, right, so it's easier to imagine, but I want you to transport yourself back to first century Rome, and we've probably watched enough movies now to be able to know what life was like back then, so you're a commoner living in the great empire of Rome, and let's assume that it's around AD, what is it, 60, okay, and the Caesar is near Rome, and one day you're walking along on the streets of Rome, and then you see Caesar's Palace, not the one in Las Vegas, but the one in Rome, and then you say, I'll just walk in, and so you walk into the, uh, to the palace, and then you go into the throne room, right? And you decide, ooh, that throne looks pretty good. So you plop yourself down to the throne of Caesar. And then when you're there, you look around, you say, oh, look, grapes, because it's always grapes, isn't it, for some reason. Uh, And then you start eating the grapes, and then you start drinking the wine. And then you see servants, and you start commanding the servants to do your bidding. Maybe you beat up some servants that are not listening to you, and maybe others, you know, you treat really well. And maybe you start even managing the palace, right? You get all the guards and start doing your thing. You might even be a pretty good king. On that throne. Now, let me ask you, what is the problem here, right? What is the sin that's been committed by you here? Is it that you committed trespass? Right, you entered where you shouldn't have gone. Is it that you committed um, uh, theft? You took the grapes and you drank the wine. Is it even that you assaulted someone? Right, you beat up the slaves, the servants of, the, of, the, of Caesar's palace. Now, maybe you even did a really banged up job. You did a great job in, you know, mente- cleaning up the whole palace area. Maybe you were a really good king. Well, what is the crime here? What is the greatest sin in this scenario? Is it not the offense that you've caused to Caesar? Such, such blatant and shameless disregard, such violent dishonoring of the Caesar. Well, that's the real and deepest problem, isn't it? So when Nero walks in and he sees you, what is he going to do? He's going to kill you on the spot. And you're not surprised, neither is anybody else around seeing, and no, if the news gets to everyone We be like, of course, that is the, the, the right thing. How have you offended the Caesar of Rome? But you see, God is infinitely greater than Caesar, isn't he? In every sense of the word, he's greater, in value, in goodness, in honor, in power. And so when you think of Babylon's self-glory and self-sufficiency and self-indulgence, thinking that you're in control and in charge of your own life, thinking that you never have to give an account to God. That's that's the way of Babylon. That's what she stands for, and that's why her destruction, her judgment is fully deserved. And Not only is Babylon uh, a a, a representation of self-glory, we see that she also then tries to lead, not just tries, but succeeds in leading the world astray into her ways. Right, that she seduced the world to follow in her footsteps. And here we see, right, in the various groups that follow, right, from verse nine all the way to the end. There we see various groups, right. Verse nine, she's seducing kings into her life of luxury. In verse fifteen, the merchants they gain wealth from her. In verse nineteen, the sea traders they grow rich from her wealth. And then in verse twenty-three, the, the merchants they grow in greatness because of her. And the nations are deceived by her, by her sorcery, by her deception. And we see that she's leading the world, the world through the rulers and the traders into the pursuit that she's on about, self-glory, self-sufficiency, and self-indulgence. And hasn't she done a great job? Hasn't the power, the force of Babylon done a great job in our world throughout history? We see kings and rulers and governors and, and nations seeking power and control, greedy, right, to gather for themselves the world's resources and going to war to get what they want. Now, I don't know all of the ins and outs of the Russia-Ukraine thing, I'm not really a great uh, you know, current affairs guy, but whatever ABC has summarized for me makes me think that it's the same thing, isn't it? That Russia wants to get for itself, uh, Putin wants to get for itself, right, the things that will make the good life for his country. Ukraine has it, he wants to keep it. Right? Rulers of all kinds of every generation leading their citizens towards their version of the good life. And the good life isn't the same, of course, for different nations uh, and kingdoms throughout history. There's a different version of the good life, but the core is the same. It's still the good life. It's some version of earthly security and success. Some version of self-sufficiency. It's the good life here and now, especially the good life here and now, without regard, without care for God. Right? How many rulers in our world genuinely care about the Lord Jesus and following Him? No, they care about their country and the good life. The merchants, the traders, the commercial sector, they will sell this good life. There's a good life to be bought by all. It doesn't matter who you are, there's a good life to be bought. You know, for the crazy, uber-rich, you can indulge in your opulent luxury, live it up to the absolute max, the crazy, rich Asian style. That's not most of us, or any of us. I'm not sure that there's any crazy, rich Asian in this church, or crazy, rich Aussie. But we're more the middle class, and that's a pretty big band, well, there's a good life for you too, isn't there? Chase after that promotion, that, that pay increase, so that you can splash some money, you know, on, 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 on renovating your house, beautifying your living space, right, redecorating the place. You can splash some money on that well-deserved holiday. It's been two years of COVID. Now it's time, right, for the next 12 to 18 months to go to Japan, go to Europe, go to Hong Kong, wherever it is that you want to go. I want to go to Korea, by the way, but, <clears throat> you know, it's something where somewhere you feel like you... You're missing out, you gotta get. It. Isn't it time to upgrade that phone? It's two years old now, the screen's a bit scratched up. Right? The screen is LCD, I want AMOLED. Isn't it time to upgrade the car? It's now 10 years old. Now, no one in LCLE has a 10 year old car, except for those poor students. I'm a worker, right? I deserve a nicer car. European, I'm not just Japanese, hybrid, not petrol. Maybe it's time to up the investments to grow the portfolio, to get the investment property. I paid off the mortgage. I don't want to sit on you know, 150 grand a year just going to the bank. I want to invest, get more, give my children a house each when I retire. That's the middle class life, isn't it? Sounds kind of upper class to me, if you think about it. Do what you need to do, Babylon says. Buy what you need to buy, spend what you need to spend to make your life a happier one. Small things, big things, all things, go for it. You see, it doesn't matter what class we're in, Babylon will find a way to seduce rulers and traders to sell to us what Babylon wants for us. To say that life is about you, not God. Life is about your glory, it's about your self-sufficiency, your stability, your enjoyment, your comfort, your pleasures, and your leisures. You know the Lord Jesus... Forget about him. Why let Jesus, you know, cramp your style? Why stand with Jesus and miss out on the world, right? Why miss out on the world? Why be so committed with with giving your money and with giving your time and with giving your energy to Jesus? Why serve Jesus and suffer? Why? The world is your oyster, right? Babylon is saying, it's all yours to have and enjoy now. And that's what Babylon is doing, leading the world astray, leading the world into destruction. Her harm is great, friends. Her harm is great, and therefore her judgment is just. She's destroying us. Now, the third reason that Babylon's judgment is needed and much deserved is the harm that she does to God's people. And this is a shorter point, verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Now, John doesn't spell out much here in this chapter. It's only the one verse that sort of finishes the chapter. But it's a reality that John has spoken about in the earlier chapters of Revelation, especially in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and then when the seals are open, the reality of life for believers, it's kind of all there. So go back and read it and listen to the sermons if you want. Uh, But basically, the the truth isn't that Christians who won't buy into Babylon's ways, who won't buy what Babylon sells, who won't be seduced by Babylon, will suffer for it. In John's gospel, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, uh, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Like okay, It's a really simple syllogism, isn't it? Right? If you love Babylon, if you love the world, the world would love you. But if you don't love the world, if you love Jesus instead, if we resist the world's lure, if we don't love Babylon, we will be hated. We will pay the price. Many Christians have, many Christians are, and many Christians will. But we need to know that when Jesus returns, justice will, will come and Babylon will fall. So let's pause for a moment right, to reflect on the two big questions that, that kicked off this section. And two questions were, why should we come out of Babylon? And the second question is, what does it mean to come out of Babylon? So why? Why come out? Well, I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? Because Babylon is trying to suck us in to her ways, into this life that dishonors God, that is self-glorying, that is self-indulging. And because getting sucked into Babylon means going down with Babylon, going down with her in judgment. So why? That's why. Now, what does it mean then to come out? Well, it means not to join in, right? Not to take on board, not to buy Babylon's ways. And this is really hard, isn't it? Because chasing the good life now is just so very tempting, isn't it? You know, having and enjoying the good things of this life, which one of us doesn't like that? Which one of us doesn't enjoy it? How, much of us, how many of us aren't really loving and pursuing what Babylon offers? I think if we're honest with ourselves, I the lure of Babylon really is a lure. It's really enticing. But if you think about the last few weeks and the last few months of your life, as you think about how much of Babylon you've bought... How has it impacted you as a believer? How has it impacted your worship of the Lord Jesus? How much has it shrunk your love for Him? How much does it prevent you from serving the King and sacrificing for His cause? All that time and money and energy poured into the things of Babylon. How much of that hasn't gone to serving the Lord Jesus, making disciples, growing as disciples, reaching the world? The voice from heaven says to us today, Come out of Babylon, my people, lest you take part in her sins and share in her judgment. Come out of Babylon. Now, perhaps up to this point in the message, the message has been quite cerebral. Right? I've been pumping you with reasons, intellectual reasons. I, I hope that it's not just cerebral. I hope that there is enough of what I've said that actually impacts the heart. But let's go more in the heart, okay? Let's appeal to the heart even more. Because you see, the message in Revelation 18 is full of heart, isn't it? Full of emotion. As you read along from 9 to 20 especially, there's weeping, there's wailing, and then there's rejoicing as well, right? There is a really strong emotions here in this passage. So let's have a look, right? Let's, just, let's absorb the emotions that is being conveyed, right? Not just the information. Now, as Babylon falls into utter judgment, we're shown the reaction of those who love Babylon. Right, have a look. Uh, we see it through the passage. Right, verse nine: uh, the kings of the earth, what are they doing? They're weeping and wailing uh, over Babylon's judgment. In verse eleven, the merchants of the earth they weep and they mourn. In verse seventeen, the sea traders, right, they cry. Right, they throw dust on their heads, which is a, a symbol of of of, uh, of grieving death. Right, they they wept and they mourn as if at a funeral. You feel it, that their hearts are broken, absolutely broken. They're in utter distress and despair. Can you sense it? Can you feel it? What these guys are going through. They respond as those who have lost everything that they have loved and lived for. And indeed, they have lost everything that they have loved and lived for. Have a look at verse 14. It's striking, right? The fruit for which your soul longed for has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. Can you hear that? The, for those who love Babylon, as Babylon falls, the fruit for which your soul has longed for has gone from you. No more, never again to be found again. Because their deep longings, their love was for the things of this world. That's where their soul had been sold to. And now that Babylon is gone, they're left with nothing. What a waste. What a waste of life. He sees that the lament of Babylon's lovers shows the futility and the folly of loving this world, the world that Babylon is selling. We need to feel the weight of this lament. We don't want to get to the end of our lives and realize that we've chased after the wrong things. You see, our greatest fear, our greatest fear shouldn't be that we lose out, but that we gain the things that don't matter. Our greatest fear shouldn't be that we lose out in this world, but that we don't get all of the world's good life, but that we gain the things that don't matter. That should be our greatest fear. Now, it's been a, a real challenge preparing this message and I've had longer than, more, than, most, to, than most other sermons to prepare because I had a really busy week uh, when I was away from Monday to Thursday. So I started preparing this quite a while ago. Uh, and it's a message that really strikes to my own heart and to my own struggles because uh, many of you may know I struggle with materialism, right? I like new and shiny things, as I mentioned in the beginning. I have this constant urge right, to buy the things that I don't have and to upgrade the things that I do already have. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I just buy without even thinking twice. The lure of Babylon in this way is real for me. But what about you? What area of worldliness most tempts you? What are you wanting to gain? What are you wanting to get or to get more of? Maybe it is material possessions, but maybe it's another version of the good life, whatever it is that the world has sold you on, whatever that your heart longs for. Now, I wonder whether one day, when the day of judgment comes, they will look back and see how futile and foolish we have been. That we will cry like the kings and the merchants for all the wrong things. But you know what? The weeping and wailing is not the only emotion that they have. As you look on, you see also great fear, don't we? In verse 10 and 15 and 17, these kings and these merchants, these sea traders, they stand far off. You can almost visualize it, right, with utter fear as they look at Babylon falling or fallen, well, they know that the judgment on them will be soon to come. They will be wrapped up in that because they have loved Babylon. To love Babylon is so disastrous and so dangerous. Now, the, the Babylon lovers, they, they mourn and they fear, but believers are to uh, rejoice. The believers of the Lord are to rejoice instead, right? There's a sharp and there is a stark transition from verse 19 into verse 20. So from verse 9 to 19, there's all of this weeping and wailing and fear, right, from all the different lovers of Babylon. And verse 20, you kind of think it's still those guys speaking, but it's not, right? It's the voice uh, of, uh, it's the instruction uh, to the heavens. Rejoice over her, O heaven and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Right, the hosts of heaven, the heavenly bodies and beings, as well as all the believers on the earth are called to love Jesus, who have loved Jesus, are called to rejoice at the fall of Babylon. Now let's be, let's be clear here, right? The rejoicing that believers do is never some kind of gleeful, very happy, someone is suffering kind of uh, rejoicing. It's the rejoicing of justice being done. Right, we, we can rejoice, and then we ought to rejoice and celebrate God's justice. But when the Lord Jesus comes, He will right all wrongs. When God's justice comes, He'll repay uh, to those who have done unspeakable sin and evil. Remember, Babylon's sins are, as, are, as pil- are piled up as high as the heavens. She has sinned blatantly against the infinite God of all glory. She has led the entire world astray into her ways, into judgment, And she has done great violence against God's people. And so when we see Babylon fall on that final day of judgment, we should rejoice and celebrate that relief, that joy, that justice is being done. For now, we will pay the price of loving Jesus, but one day justice will be served. So the question is, and the big point of Revelation 18 is, will you come out of Babylon? And there's some really helpful diagnostic questions, isn't it? As you ask yourself, what captures my heart? Am am I a Babylon lover? Well, I'll ask you, what what captures your heart? What makes you really happy when you get it? What are you striving for to make you happy? And what makes you sad if you lose it? What are you fighting to hold on to that belongs to this world? Jim Elliot famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And better than Jim Elliot is what Jesus himself says. And he asks, right, his disciples to us, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? So friends, give up Babylon today. Don't love her anymore. Don't gain from her what she's selling. Instead, let's renew our love for Jesus. Or maybe for, you, for some of you here, love Jesus for the first time. Live for Jesus for the first time. It is worth it. Come out of Babylon before it's too late. For others of us who are Christians, let's love and live for Jesus more. More. You want to gain something? Gain more of your love for Jesus. You want to get more? Get more of your service to Him and His kingdom. Why? Because you won't lose out. You won't lose out. You won't regret it. Because it is worth it. He is worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word and for the great clarity in which it speaks, and not just clarity, but for the way it really punches all the way deep. We thank you so much for helping us see what Babylon stands for, for helping us see uh, what she's enticing the whole world through rulers and merchants uh, to, to buy. We thank you for showing us just how wicked and how sinful it is to fall in her ways or wanting to live in self glory. Say no to you, wanting to live in self-sufficiency and self-indulgence, uh, wanting to be able to think that we will never have to face any consequences for the way we've lived. Help us to see that Babylon's judgment is certain and it is total. And so we pray, Father, that we would heed your warning, we would heed your encouragement, we would heed your loving commandment to come out of Babylon, come out of her before it's too late. Help us not to be sucked in Help us not to buy what she's selling. Help us to see in ourselves what is it that we love? What is it that we long for? What is it we're pursuing? What is it that we want to get more of? What is it that we hate to lose? Please help us not to be futile and foolish and to be sad for the wrong reasons. Instead, help us to rejoice as we love Jesus and live for Him more. To rejoice to know that one day justice will come. And as we look on into chapter 19 and onwards into the new city that you'll bring us into, the new status that we will enjoy and have, please help us to cling on to Jesus. All this we pray in his beautiful name.